this week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Prepare to be boarded. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacy Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. You said it weirdly sultry this time. I don't know why, but... <laughs> and we bang. <laughs> and I just watched Gilmore Girls, one of Stacy's favorite shows, for the very first time. And I just watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows, for the very first time. We watched both shows together all seven seasons, comparing them as we went. And now we're watching and comparing two other shows from the creators of those two shows, Amy Sherman Palladino's Bunheads and Joss Whedon's Firefly. And this week we're discussing episode three of both shows, starting with Bunheads, Inherit the Wind. As well as Firefly, Bushwhacked. You were very excited for Bunheads because of the title. Do you think it lived up to your expectations as far as- Not at all. The title making sense? No. She inherits the guy's house and there's a reference to her wanting to like- be free and like dust in the wind. Yeah. But then they were just like, oh, we'll just put those words together because that's a movie and a book. Yeah. So no. Okay, good to know. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I think it's tomorrow when this comes out. It's not now. I was going to say, what? I'm not feeling romantic, are you? I don't know. After the way you said we were a couple, I feel kind (laughs) of hyped up right now. (laughs) Is Valentine's Day international? I don't know. I don't know either. You know what is international? Mm. Bunheads. Apparently, it's free in Australia on Disney Plus as well. Oh, yeah. And Canada, right? Yeah, I think Canada was the other one. So I I bet other countries have it, but not here. A couple people have pointed out to me that they think they know where the name Hubble comes from. Yeah. In the movie The Way We Were, there's a character named Hubble Gardener. And apparently, Amy references The Way We Were three times in Gilmore Girls. So it might be a movie she really likes. I had the theory that Hubble, like the telescope, is looking for a star, you know, like she's like a rising. I don't know if she's rising. He thinks she is. Is this a good theory? No. Uh, Well, Um, sure. The the public has a better theory than me. We'll go with theirs. Okay. Is there anything new with you? Do you have any theories or stories? Theories or stories? I don't have any theories on the show right now. I don't have any stories. <laughs> okay. Well, I have been really into this game, Aeon's End, which yeah. I guess is a Kickstarter game. Sort of like a deck builder. I don't know if anyone knows what that means, but it's fun. You get to fight monsters, build decks, cast spells. Yeah, it works really well for two people. And it's not like that long of a game. So it's fun to just like play quickly on a weeknight after work. And we had some friends over to play it with four people. And they're big uh, board game people. And they picked it up right away. And we had a blast. It's fun to have board game friends and... Mm-hmm a board game partner because I feel like anytime you try to introduce a board game to a regular person and that board game has phases, it's over. As soon as they hear phases, they're like, all right, I'm done. I don't know what that even means. Mm It sounds too much for me. I'm out. The brain just shuts off when they're like, we're in this phase of the game. Nope. If you're a person that's worried about there being phases in a game, I will say that this game has fewer phases than most. There's only two. There's the nemesis phase and the the main phase, I guess. I mean, there's there's three phases. What's really. the third phase? The spell casting phase. Oh right, but that's 
that's part of the player's turn. You guys don't care. <laughs> One quick announcement. If you join our Patreon community, we now have a Discord available to join. That's available to all three tiers of our Patreon. Most of the discussion boards are available to even the lowest tier of our Patreon, where you can talk all things Gilmore, Buffy, Firefly, Bunheads, just general other movies and TV shows. If you're part of our Angel and Veronica Mars community, there's boards to discuss those two shows as well. But yeah, if you sign up for any tier of our Patreon, you can chat with us and other people in the community. Yeah. Tell us what we got wrong about the episodes, but don't spoil anything. Yeah, just do long rants about what I got wrong, because I criticize stuff a lot. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're a couple episodes into Veronica Mars, and you, you had some opinions, and people were like, Brian, you're being a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was a lot, but I stand by those opinions. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm wrong. Just FYI, if you've missed it, we are watching Veronica Mars over on our Patreon. Which I like. Yeah, so far. So far, we're enjoying it. My opinion isn't that the show's bad. It's such interesting territory, though, watching a show neither of us have seen. I mean, we're also doing yeah. that with Bunheads, but yeah. Veronica seems like more long and beloved. So with Gilmore and Buffy, if someone said something like wrong or silly, the other person could be like, just wait, or like make a winky joke to the audience. But neither of us know what we're talking about with Veronica Mars or where it's going at all. Yeah. Okay, we have one five-star review from Spotify. Thank you so much to Terry Hawken. Thank you. Should we get into it, Brian? Should we talk about these two shows? Let's do it. All right. This week, we started with Bunheads. Brian, give us a quick summary of what you think is the poorly titled Inherit the Wind. This episode is about the tension between Fanny and Michelle, now that Michelle has inherited all of Hubble's belongings. And property. Yes. Even though they've only been married, you know, like a day. And Fanny doesn't have any of that. So it's really about the tension between them and also like a little bit about Sasha and Boo's relationship and some of the high school drama between the girls. Yeah. So in the last episode, that's where we get that big bomb where we find out that Hubble left everything to Michelle just as Fanny and Michelle were like maybe starting to get along, which is how every episode's going to be. They're going to start to get along and then just something's going to stop it. I feel like that's just what we're doing. I mean, this one doesn't really end on a cliffhanger. It doesn't. It doesn't. So the episode opens with Michelle and Fanny having a meeting with Jerry, who was Hubble's friend and lawyer, going over the will and explaining that Michelle has inherited everything, including Fanny's ballet school and the house Fanny lives on and all of the acreage behind it. And of course, this is a shock to both of them. And Fanny's like upset because she's like, I'm going to get kicked out of my house and on the street. My son's done this to me. I feel like the lawyer, though, should have started with, of course, there's provisions in this will that Fanny can continue to run the school as long as she wants, which is like a big thing he should have said like right up front. He does say that eventually, right? He does. He does. But I would have led with that just judging on their reactions. Yeah. They're flabbergasted. They don't know what to do, Michelle and Fanny. We find out that Hubble called this guy like immediately and had everything transferred over. Mm-hmm. Some big takeaways here are Michelle's like trying to make Fanny feel better, but she says something like, you didn't own anything before and you still don't. <laughs> So she just like feels bad that she is just like a woman with no son and no property. And she's kind of like a nobody. Yeah. Do you still think that this Jerry guy is going to be a love interest? You were Oh, I think there's going to be a lot of love interest. I definitely think he's going to be one. No, he's not. Okay. I think okay. we meet a love interest in this episode. For yeah, sure. we'll get to that. But what? I think there's going to be multiple love interests. Lorelai had multiple love interests. So did Rory. 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 
So Michelle is like, okay, Fanny, let's have some whiskey shots. And she pours one for each of them. But Fanny just like gets up and leaves. So it's implied that Michelle drinks a bunch by herself because she drinks two shots and then wakes up on the couch the next day next to the bottle. Mm-hmm. I feel like Fanny should have realized, like, maybe I don't need to piss off the woman who owns the house I live in. <laughs> maybe I should be a little bit nicer. That would be my takeaway from this conversation. But the next day, Michelle wakes up. She seems hungover. She's mad at the clock. It's pretty funny. She finds a clock that's, like, barking. She, like, knocks it off, and she's like, good dog. (laughs) It seems like she gave back the stolen dog. At least he's not in this episode. Yeah, or died under her watch, and she just forgot about it. Who knows? If she's anything like Amy Sherman Palladino's other female protagonist, there's a good chance this dog's dead. (laughs) So she starts walking around what is now her land. And she sees that all the girls from the ballet school are all taking photos of their feet. This is all pretty funny. She comes up and she's like, what are you doing? Is this some like internet thing I don't want to know about? I'm glad I'm too old for it. And they're like, no, we're taking photos of our feet. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. It's, it's weird. <laughs> I thought it was all funny because like some dudes are into feet. And there's no, nothing wrong with that. that's not why. No, 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 no. I think that's what Michelle is worried about. Oh, okay. <laughs> that they're doing like only feet. No, right th- yeah. They're doing it because dancers' feet get real messed up from toe shoes. Right. And there's a... There's like an ongoing contest with other cities who has the most fucked up feet. Exactly. The idea being, you know, if you have bad feet, then you must be working really hard, I guess, at this. Interestingly, I dated a nice skater and she had messed up feet. So it's the thing. Luckily, you don't look at feet. No. I like, I almost have like feet blindness. I'm like, I just like don't even care or notice them. Is it because of the ice skater? I saw her feet and I was like, I should never look look at these again. No, she was (laughs) lovely, except for her feet. But I didn't look at (laughs) them. This scene is all pretty funny. They get so excited when one of their toenails come off. She's all like, oh, my toenails off. Get photos. Another girl's like, I'm going to pop this blister to make it worse. It's all funny. (laughs) They say that some girl in San Francisco just like genetically has like a toenail in the middle of her foot. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was a full toe. Yeah, you might be right. They win every year because she has a mutant foot. It sounded bad. They're like, that's not fair because it's not dance related. It's genetic. Yeah. Michelle comes across Fanny, who is just being the worst. So Fanny is in the kitchen finding an old, rusty, broken teapot that she's going to like make tea in because everything in here, including her old tea equipment, is now owned by Michelle, presumably. So she's like, do you mind if I drink out of this? This was left by the previous owners, so you shouldn't own it. I'll pay you a dime for your water. And Michelle says, no. And she's like, fine. Here's a quarter. That was very funny. Because, yeah, then Michelle takes the quarter. (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm charging you for the water. But Fanny is being classic Emily from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. She's being so over the top, like, oh, do you deign to let me use your water? It's like, dude, Michelle has given no indication that she's kicking you out, that she's going to treat you differently. This is absurd. Like, you're being a child right now. Yeah, it's like such a little pity party. Yeah, and it's also like, again, like, do you really want to piss off the person who, like, literally does have all the leverage? Like, I don't know that that's a great idea. Like, if she was like, ah, I'll let Fanny stay here. But if Fanny's like, I hate you, well, then maybe I'm not going to let you stay here. Yeah, I don't really know what her goal was. Yeah. Uh, Also, Michelle has brought scones for Fanny, and Fanny's like, I don't eat breakfast. I don't know why Michelle's love language is I'm going to bring food and carbohydrates because- It's clear that Fanny doesn't eat those things. It's been rejected in the past. Meanwhile, the girls are getting ready to dance. God, I forget the girl's name. Uh, Hold on. Uh, Is it Claire? No. No. Melanie. Melanie's brother and his friend have driven her to ballet class, and they're upset that they have to stay there. They seem like kind of douchey, I don't know, 
just young dudes, kind of bros. It doesn't make sense that they have to sit there. I feel like they could go do whatever while she dances. Yeah, just go leave and come back. I guess her brother got caught with beer, so his punishment is that he has to drive her around everywhere, but it doesn't say he can't go hang out at the pond or whatever while she's (laughs) dancing. Which he loves to do. It is almost weird and inappropriate that they just sit there and watch the girls dance. I don't know. I don't know much about ballet. Maybe that's not weird, but to me it's a little weird. It seems like Fanny wouldn't want them there because they wouldn't be into it. They'd be distracting. Mm -hmm. But Boo is a little freaked out because apparently she's got a crush on Melanie's brother. And Melanie's like pushing for her to like go dance in front of him and like go up to the front. I didn't know this until this episode, but apparently, and I'm sure you guys all know this, if you go to the front, you're like, I'm trying to show off or like I'm trying to be the best dancer right now. I think just classically, the best dancers are in the front because you can kind of hide in the back if you're not as strong. Well, I get that, but it seems like it's like a choice, like in class, if you're like, I'm going to go stand up front because I'm good or I want to show off. Because Fanny like points out that Boo's up front. She's like, oh, you're up front. Good. Like, show off. But it seemed like it was up to Boo that she got to be up front. So Boo's really scared or like nervous because she likes this boy. She doesn't want to embarrass herself. Melanie's encouraging to go up front. And then Sasha, you know Sasha, just the worst. Sasha just like turns to Boone. She's like, why don't you give him a lap dance while you're at it? Right in front of the guys who are like, ugh, putting their sunglasses on and tuning out more so than they already were tuned out. And this, of course, Boo's just like super like embarrassed by all of this. But she stays up front. Well, only because Fanny makes her. Fanny's yeah. like, you got to stay up front. Meanwhile, a new character, Claire, shows up at the house where Michelle is. She brings a casserole that's like taco in a bag. We did this in college for like a fundraiser or something where we like had tacos and you just like opened a, like a personal Dorito bag and filled it with meat and people could put in toppings. I mean, it sounds good. Yeah. I didn't know it was like a meal for a family. I feel like when this girl comes in, though, she definitely seems to have an agenda immediately. It doesn't seem like she's just trying to be friendly. I don't know. She, she comes in. She's like, I lost my husband, too. Of course, it was because he, like, went and started sleeping with some other woman and divorced me for her. But, like, I get it. It's rough. And also, she starts then pointing out, like, owning all this property is going to be so hard for you. I can't imagine what it's like to have all this grief, but, like, also have to deal with all this property. Then she starts taking her through the property and showing her all the problems she's going to have to deal with. Like she's got to thin all these trees out because she's got like seven acres of land that's not being properly kept up. And they're going to have giant squirrel populations. There's also a giant septic tank in the back that's getting too full. Yeah, this is the first time we're learning that this is like a big property with like multiple structures. Yeah. Yeah, seven acres, all kinds of maintenance that she's going to have to do that she didn't think about. Because part of me was like, couldn't she just like... Sign it over to Fanny if she really doesn't want it. But like now it's seeming like, well, this is worth a lot. Maybe I could sell it, not have to deal with all this and like make some money. I think it's abundantly clear about two minutes into Claire being on screen that she's like, I want you to sell this property so I can make money off of it. Yeah. It's not really like, oh, I'm sympathetic to you. It's I just want to sell this land because I'll make a pretty penny. She, by the way, is played by Kirsten Warren, who plays Alex one of the main characters in Saved by the Bell, the college years. Mm-hmm. She like dates Slater. Yeah, she looked familiar. I was like, I've seen you before. I think she's in a bunch of stuff too. But while she's showing her around the property, Fanny sees this and she immediately knows this is a realtor. So she just like leaves her school and walks out there and like throws a fit. Like, you're going to sell my land. It's been like zero time. I can't believe you do this. Just throw me off on the street. It gets weird immediately, and Claire's all like, well, you've got my magnet. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, you've got my phone my card. number. You've got my magnet. And Michelle storms off. 
During the tour with Claire, they came across an old garage where there's like this fancy car that Hubble had been, I guess, building. They said he like built it out of parts he got on the internet. Yeah. So she takes the car, drives away. It like immediately breaks down. And she pulls over into some driveway and then calls for a tow truck. Tow truck shows up. All this, I think, is pretty funny. I feel like the tow truck guy says his line's pretty funny. I think it's delivered pretty well. His name's Lou. I bet we'll see him again. I don't know. I feel like we'll see Lou again. Great actor. He also looked familiar. He's like, oh, I can't actually tell you because you're on a private road. She's like, what? She's like two feet. Her car's like two feet onto this private road. He's like, it's a private road. The guy that lives there, his name's Bill. He's scary. Apparently, some people went there to, like, talk about putting up some, like, cell phone towers, and we never saw them again. I can't help you. And he just keeps saying, like, private road every time she's like, can you help me? He's like, eh, private road, private road, I can't, private road. This Bill guy is supposed to be super rich, by the way. Yes. But nobody really knows who he is. That's why he's got his own private road. She's like, there's no sign there's a private road. He's like, yeah, but there is a private road. We all know it's a private road. Personally, I'm like, I know this is for a plot device, but literally, you could put this in neutral and just push it back onto the public road. Or also, like... Dude, you really think this guy's got like cameras in the trees and or he's going to be mad that you pulled this off his private road? He'd probably be happy you got it out of his way. Yeah, and then he but doesn't have to deal with it. Eventually the cops show up, the sheriff, Clayton. Yeah, he's all like private road, private road. You got to come over here so we can talk about. It. She's like, "I'm not going over there." And he's like, "Well, then I'm going to have to arrest you." And he does. He arrests her, zip ties her, puts her in a car. I don't know how he gets to her. He must go on that private road without a warrant. Yeah. Otherwise, they were both just like standing with their toes on the edge pretty much. Yeah. The cop and Lou. So she's arrested in the back of the car. She's there for I don't know how long, but then Fanny just gets into the back of the police car. You know, very condescending about her being arrested after only being there for like two days and how she can learn so much from her about that kind of lifestyle. But she's like, I bailed you out. You're lucky that I swing dance with the police chief, which is, I have questions about that. Is that a euphemism? (laughs) Yeah, you bang him? What does that mean? So Michelle gets out of the car and just immediately starts walking up the private road to go talk yeah. to the rich guy about getting her car off of this. And Fanny's like, what are you doing? You're doing the same thing you just got arrested for. She's like, well, fortunately, my mother-in-law swing dances with the police chief. Yeah, that was very funny. Meanwhile, back at the ballet school, the girls are getting their stuff together and getting dressed in the like locker room, I guess you'd call it. They're all kind of shitting on Sasha. They're saying to Boo, like, she was so mean to you. I can't believe she did that. She's the worst. Boo starts to defend her, saying, like, you know, we don't know what Sasha's got going on at home. She's probably acting out because she's, like, she's got it rough, and it's not fair for us to say all these things. We don't know what she's doing. Sasha's right there, by the way. I don't know why they think she can't hear them. Like, they should be able to see her. It's not that big of a room. Yeah, and they must know Sasha's, like, what in the other room at best. But Boo says this stuff for a while. Honestly, though, Boo is making excuses for her and defending her. But Sasha just decides that she's mad at Boo, and she's like, you don't know what's going on in my life. Yeah, don't psychoanalyze me. You're the one who needs to hide in the back. Yeah, super mean, and she walks off. But then we get a little peekaboo into their home lives. Oh, nice pun. (laughs) Peekaboo. Yeah, Boo gets into the car with her mom. The other two girls had, like, been inviting her over for a sleepover, but she didn't want to go because she didn't want to, like, have to face her crush at the one girl's house. But her mom, like, overhears this. She's like, oh, you should go. You should go. Dinner at home's going to be so bad. I started making food from that healthy cookbook that you wanted me to try, and it, it smells like stinky dead foot. She's like, smell my shirt. It smells so bad. And they're just, like, laughing about all this. But, like, Sasha overhears this and, like, is observing how nice of a relationship Boo has with her mother. And then Sasha gets in the car, like, behind that one where her mom is like, ugh. 
dinner tonight is going to be not happening. I've got to work or something, and your dad's going to be out late again. Her mom sucks. Do you want takeout or frozen? I think we have frozen. Or do you want to eat with your friends? She's just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> the mom, we got to talk about the moms. She's like, your dad's not home again. The dad's gay and sleeping with dudes. Obviously, that's set up. But the mom was like, you know, I had a tough day and I've got a massage tonight. The guy barely squeezed me in. It's like, oh, you can't make food for your daughter because you got to go get your emergency massage. Understood. Just makes it clear where her priorities lie. You know what I mean? And I have to say, this is the strongest part of this episode for me. I loved these two little scenes because I have to say that, like, Boo's mom felt like a real mom and her relationship with Boo felt like a real relationship. Yeah, it was like, cute. It, Felt warm. Not that they're always warm. You know, you fight with your parents. But it, it legitimately felt like good acting from both of them. And I believed them as a parent and also believed her as like a loving parent to her daughter. And it also informed us a lot about them. Boo's like trying to lose weight and trying to get her mother to eat healthier. That's why they're doing this. And they're like giving them each other positive reinforcement. I loved all of that. I thought that was like really genuine seeming. Uh, and then Sasha's mom was like so cold and distant. I don't know if cold essentially the word she wasn't like hating her daughter but she was just definitely distant yeah she wasn't mean to sasha right, but she's right. clearly not like thinking about sasha's needs at all or like really being like i want you to hang out with your friends because it's fun i think sasha's mom kind of suggested she hang out with her friends but i thought it was more like a it'd be easier for me if i didn't have to deal with how you eat mm-hmm. <laughs> so i like that scene a lot it told us a lot about the characters you however hated the next scene i did i really did guys so the next scene is Michelle arriving at Bill, I'm doing quotes, Bill's house. He has massive doors. He's obviously incredibly rich. She's complaining about how long his private road is. She's like out of breath. She opens the door. Dude, I mean, the dude's stacked. This is his apartment. apartment. He's got his huge house. <laughs> Just giant breaths he paid for. They're made <laughs> of gold. No, <laughs> Her house is amazing. But I have to say this next scene, it frustrated me for so many reasons. His name is Grant, he says. It's not Bill. Right. She comes in and she's all like, you know, my car's messed up. I don't know what's up. He's like, cool. I'll just call my chauffeur. He knows a lot about cars. He'll go take a look at it. He does that. I have to say the whole time this scene's happening, he's like slowly pouring wine into this giant decanter. It seems like he is pouring it for her at first. After a while, after he's been pouring for about five minutes, she says, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be having any wine. And he's all like, Oh, well, the wine's not for you. It's for somebody else. And then, like, later, she's like, you know what? I will have some of that wine. He's like, again, it's it's not for you. <laughs> I picked somebody <laughs> over. That was funny. Grant, by the way, obviously rich. You could tell he's rich because he's wearing these, like, forest green corduroy pants. No one does that unless they have the kind of money where you can just, like, buy a wife. Those pants say, I don't care what I look like. I can buy your positive feedback. Or someone that, like, shops at a thrift store. Okay, but they don't also have that telescope or a wine decanter. (laughs) Yeah, he has a giant telescope. Yeah, he has this telescope. So this is what I don't like. She goes in there and immediately just like goes over to his enormous like NASA sized telescope and starts like looking through it and moving it. They have some dialogue about how there's like a nudist beach nearby with like ugly nude people. Which is kind of a dumb bit, I've heard a million times. And she looks at it, she's like, oh, it's gross. And they kind of laugh about that. But my thought is, sorry guys, I know, who cares? But telescopes, if you're using one, especially that big, are generally meant to look at space. And like, you have to take some time to like, find what you're looking for. Like, if you're looking for a meteor or something, like, you got to attune it just right to where that meteor is going to be. And someone walking in and just starting moving it around would be very frustrating and annoying. <laughs> be like, I just set that right. up. Yeah. 
It's very presumptive of her to start doing that. And then this scene just becomes her just monologuing about the events of the episode and laying out her melodrama while he like listens and gives advice. And I'm just like, what is happening right now? You're in a stranger's home and you've just decided to have him help you with your problems? It, it, it just it doesn't seem like a real scene. It doesn't seem like how any real person would act. And it seems like we just need to solve the plot. And so let's do it here. Did you like the scene? I felt like it was just so not realistic at all. And makes Michelle seem insane, like just ranting. Um, It didn't bother me as much as it bothered you, but I hear what you're saying. Like, yeah, it, it's there's a story. I think it's um Anne Haish who recently passed away, but she... At some point, before she passed away, just, like, randomly showed up at some people's house in the desert. It was like, I need to take a shower. And she just, like, stayed and hung out until they, like, called the cops. It's, you know, it reminds me of that. Where it's just, like, this random woman shows up, just kind of makes herself at home. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, be a totally. little concerned. Yes. Yes. I'd be like, do you need help? But she's just, like, doing this, like, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it reminded me of a lot. You already said this. But it reminded me of, like, when Lorelai would walk into the kitchen and just monologue to Suki and, like, it's not about Suki at all. It's just about Lorelai talking about what's yes. going on in this episode. I had the same thought, except Suki is her friend who is going to expect that. Yes, this is a strange exactly. man in the woods. This is a stranger <laughs> whose house you're just in going through his shit. Yeah. It's not your best friend, you know? So I just really didn't buy that. Also, I think it's also clear, I've already said this once, but this guy seems like he's going to be a love interest too, right? It just Yeah, we'll definitely need to see him again. Yeah, for one, he's like, I'm dating. He says that, right? Because he's going to have a woman over. Number two, he's very different than everyone in town. He doesn't follow any of the gossip. The show is already set up in this episode and previous that gossip spreads very quickly in this town. And there's just like no secrets. But he hasn't heard any of this stuff. He doesn't even know who she is. There's a couple funny lines in this scene, too. Like she says something about, you know, this new life she's living. She's like, now I'm septic tank girl. And he's like, you don't you don't want to say that ever again, because you say that once. That's in this town. Everyone's going to start calling you that. That's how I got named Bill. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. No, he seemed he seemed funny, and he gives her the advice not to listen to Claire, the real estate agent. Yeah. And that, yeah, being like a property slash homeowner can be a lot. It's not meant for everyone. She's like, yeah, I'm more of a, a renter. I like to rent a studio apartment. I'm not used to all this responsibility. I think that's what we mostly get from the scene. Yeah. He sort of gives her the lowdown of what it's going like to be like to be a property owner and to not work with this Claire woman. What I can say is that I get that Michelle doesn't really have anyone else in this town to really talk about her problems with, but she could, like, have called her friend back home. But I just don't buy her walking to a stranger's house and just, like, here's everything that's going on with me. Yeah, I almost thought when she took the car she was going to go to Vegas and we'd mm. see some of those girls again. Should mention something. This, uh, You know what? This actually also bothered me quite a bit. Grant comments that he keeps putting up a sign saying that he's in a private drive, but the cop keeps taking it down. And the reason for this is that the police officer and presumably other people in the town don't like the idea of all these signs. They just want it to look natural, I guess. Signs just bog things up or don't look pretty. How is this cop so strict about, like, going on private property when he goes on private property and literally steals from this man regularly? Yeah, that definitely felt a little weird. It didn't make any sense. And also, if you did do that, police officer, if you did go on this land to take the sign out because it's, you know, unpretty— how are you then going to hold this woman accountable and try to give her a ticket for not knowing that this is a private street when you're the one who took the sign down? Like, that's insane. I, it bothered me a lot, actually. I feel like we need to talk to that police chief again. <laughs> you and me. You and me. We need to talk to him. Okay. So that night, Michelle gets back, and as she's walking past 
the ballet studio. She sees Sasha practicing ballet by herself, super late, 10, 11. It's just super late at night. She goes in there and she's like, where do your parents really think you are? And she says, in my bedroom, they never check on me, letting us know, again, that her parents are sort of absent. They sort of bond here, I think, because Michelle's like, oh, I used to sneak out too. I get it. Here's how I used to sneak out. So they bond a bit. Michelle asks Sasha if she's okay. And Sasha says yes, very unconvincingly. <laughs> like, yeah, no, like on wrong. the verge of tears, yeah. about to actually tell her what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, I'm out. And she leaves <laughs> her. Get home safe. Bye, bitch. <laughs> I mean, that fits. Michelle then goes to the guest house. Which we haven't seen yet, I don't think. Exactly. I'm surprised we didn't see it earlier. Claire had mentioned there were other structures on the property, but we really only saw the garage with the car. Michelle sees it and immediately falls in love because it seems to be about the size of the efficiencies that she mentioned to Grant that she liked, that she was used to. Yeah. She specifically mentioned to him that she liked only committing to a place for like six months, and she would Mm -hmm. like freak out that that would be too much time to commit to a place. And she also specifically said efficiency. So it was like, oh, okay, that's what this is. It was essentially like one room. This is also very reminiscent of Lorelai's potting shed that she lived in with Rory on the Independence Inn grounds, I thought. Oh, okay. It's just like a one-room shed on some property. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks nice inside. The tub is like in the middle of the room. I think that might have been the case in Lorelai's house, honestly. Mm. But also, like, I'm a little confused because this is supposed to be a guest house, which I imagine is supposed to be a functioning guest house. And there is just a tub in the middle of the room. Like, shouldn't it have, like, curtains around it or something? The room had blinds, I think. But, yeah. I Whatever think that's something Lorelai says is, like, they put up curtains around the tub. I could be wrong. Let me know mm-hmm. if I'm making this up or if I'm right. Then Michelle goes back into her house where Fanny lives. And Fanny is watching the weather. She's curled up on the couch with this pillow that's in the shape of a cat, but is, like, made of, like, couch material. <laughs> like it's got, I don't know how to describe yeah. it. Just got like flowers on it it's like a it's if someone's couch died and they're like make it look like a cat yeah if someone's couch died and (laughs) you meant the opposite of what you said right no i didn't (laughs) i meant like you know it's we can all agree that at some point a couch's life span is over it's collapsed It, it will perish yes but you can make some of it into the shape of a cat but she's just holding on to this thing watching the weather michelle sits down she has a giant decanter now i don't know where she got it but she's got a lot of money now I mean, she has a lot of potential money. (laughs) That's true. You're right. Did she sell a small piece of it? Maybe she sold the car. So she starts pouring this wine into the decanter, and she says to Fanny, like, here's what's going to happen. We're going to talk for a while. We're going to get very drunk tonight, and we're going to talk about stuff. I'm going to go live in the guest house, and you're going to continue to live here. And then she pours the wine for a while. This is all pretty funny. I feel like she just pours it and pours it, pours it very slowly like Grant was doing. And then Fanny says, how long is this going to take? And Michelle's like, a really, 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 really long time. <laughs> I was trying cuts. to get, like, the symbolism there. Is it just because, like, it took the guy a long time? Or, like, that it's going to take them a long time mm. to figure this out? I think it was just because it took the guy a long time, and that's how long it takes. That's all. Yeah. I don't think there was any symbolism. So, Brian, did you like this episode? Not really, no. Yeah, I it's, liked... it's maybe the weakest one. Yeah. there There is sparks of good jokes that I laughed at. The wine thing was very funny. Yeah. The dime quarter thing was funny. Yes. Yes. But like Fanny's melodrama is just over the top. And I still am not in love with Michelle. But I think the big problem is that the show is just like it's missing any heart. 
Like there was a little bit of heart with Boo and her mother. But really, like so far, the show has just been like, what's one more life changing problem you got to deal with? This episode didn't have any new life changing problems at the end, which is a first for the show. And I'm just waiting for that part where we were like in love with the show, like where we start to see some love. We've seen a little bit of it in previous episodes, but this one didn't have it for me. And it's not funny enough to live without that for me yet. Maybe it's going to, you know, find its groove soon. But that's my thoughts. Yeah, I hear that. And Fanny being a lot definitely is reminiscent of times when Emily is like being insufferable. Like, oh, poor me. Feel bad for me. Yeah. I know what she's going through sucks. Like that, it, that would be weird for like this woman who barely knew your son to suddenly like own the home you live in and your son didn't leave you anything. But Michelle points this out. Hubble didn't expect his mom to outlive him. Yeah, which is totally normal. Most people don't put their parents in their will because they assume they will outlive their parents. Yeah. And then her behavior at the rich guy's house felt very reminiscent of times when like Lorelai is awful, where she's just like complaining to Luke about something and just like yeah. being kind of selfish. Except though, like she knows Luke. So mm-hmm. again, it's this thing where I feel like maybe Amy was just like used to this type of thing. And it's like, yeah, but those are characters that know each other. She, this is a stranger whose house she's just like barged into. He did invite her in. Yeah, that's true. So she could be a vampire. But he didn't say, come on in and tell me everything. Right. He also didn't seem particularly annoyed. No, he's probably drunk. He's been having wine all day. <laughs> See, I, I think it was fine. I still enjoyed watching it. But those moments were like almost kind of cringe. Mm-hmm. Where I feel that in Gilmore Girls sometimes. So it's like, eh, I, it's not making this character look great. So I, I think it's maybe the weakest of the three so far. Yeah. I just want her to get to the part where she's the dance teacher. Because that's obviously where we're going. Grant even yeah. pitches that. He's like, I don't know, you own a dance studio now. It sounds like a job you could do. Because she he asked her like where she would go if she wasn't stuck here. Like, if, if this didn't happen, like, because she says that Vegas isn't her home. He's like, well, where would be? And she doesn't have an answer. But once she points out, like, that the dance studio is hers now, he's like, well, I mean, it sounds like you kind of know what you should do. Yeah, I'm excited for that. But it's also Fanny's dance school. So what's that going to be? Oh, we forgot to mention, she gets a text that the girls won their contest for Gross's Feet. Yeah, that's so nice. Good for them. If you haven't noticed, our super is doing his nightly throwing glass against the wall. We love that. It's hard to fall asleep unless it happens. (laughs) Oh, something we were talking about, though. It's very impressive that they somehow avoid getting cameras in the mirrors in the dance studio. Yeah. Like, that must be a challenge. Well, a lot of the mirrors are at angles where you can sort of be right in front of them and not have the camera. But it's definitely something that you have to, like, plan for if you're filming this. So that yeah. is really impressive. Like, they show a lot of mirrors sometimes. With moving cameras and stuff, too. So it's like, oh, you really got to know where the blind spots are. That's, that's cool. Well, should we move on? Let's do it. And now for a special segment we like to call Movies, Movies One, one of, of Us, us Has us Never Seen. seen. As you know, we used to use this portion of the podcast to talk about Charmed, a WB show airing around the same time of Buffy and Gilmore Girls that neither of us had seen. But now we're taking turns making our partner explain what they think happened in a movie that they've never seen based only on the title and very little other information. This week, I have chosen a movie that I think, I know, I know, Brian claims he has not seen. Brian, have you seen the movie Annie? No. Why not? <laughs> I, I, I don't. Why would I? I don't know. It doesn't sound 
Because like, every it, time we're home, your mom tells us the story of how your favorite movie was Baby, and you watch it all the time, which is about a little baby dinosaur. Yeah, and a mama dinosaur. <laughs> and your sister's favorite movie was Annie, and she watched it all the time. Okay, so, it so seems- why hasn't my sister watched Baby? Why haven't you watched Baby? I don't know that she hasn't watched Baby, but it seems like you would have caught a clip of Annie at some point. I have not. I have seen the trailer for like the new Annie, but I I don't know why. I saw the trailer and I wasn't really paying attention. No, no. We're talking about the one from the 80s. Got it. Got it. Got it. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask before you begin? What's this movie about? No, 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 no. (laughs) That's too specific. Okay. Uh, This is the classic one. What year is it from? 1982. Annie has a relationship with, like, a public figure of some sort. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And this is a musical, right? Yeah. Okay. Is that all my questions? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, the plot of Annie. There's an orphan mm-hmm. named Annie. Her mm-hmm. parents died mysteriously. <laughs> and she is being mistreated. You know, classic orphan story where the people taking care of her don't really like her that much. And they make her, like, gross porridge and, like, make her clean all the time and then, like, hide her from social services. They hide her from social services? Yeah. they just like, ah, she's too dirty. <laughs> <laughs> are all the orphans going through this or just Annie? They all are, but, like, mostly Annie. They really don't like Annie because she's, like, singing constantly. And they're like, can you stop fucking singing for, like, a second, <laughs> Annie? <laughs> and does the orphanage people sing? The people that run the orphanage, do they sing? No, they hate singing. They, okay. It's like their least favorite thing in the world. That's why sure. they're so mean to Annie. They're just like, uh-huh. oh, this girl won't stop singing. It makes it hard to hide her from social services, but we try. Okay, then one day, the mayor of the town. Of Which is? <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> that's not right. That's not right. New York. New York. It, yeah, it's New York. The New York mayor. <laughs> it's not right. Is, we'll go with that. Uh, the New York mayor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that not right? <laughs> sure. He's something. Okay, so the the New York mayor is looking for a child because he needs – Because okay, so yeah, I know what it is now. Right. So the New York mayor is like not doing great in the polls because he's up against like a family man and who's like constantly showing his kids and stuff. And New York mayor's like, oh, shit, I got to like get a kid and get him or her in front of the camera. So he goes to the orphanage and he's looking at all the kids and he's like, oh, not photogenic enough. You're almost as tall as me. Um, I gotta <laughs> gotta find a really cute like child. And he hears some singing, and he's like, "Who's that?" And of course, you know the orphanage people are like, "Oh, it's nobody. Don't worry about it. Oh, it's not a little child down here." And the mayor finds it. He's like, "You were hiding this child. This is the child I want to be on TV. We're gonna pretend it's my child." And so he adopts his child, but not officially, because really the mayor's like, I don't really want a child, and I'm just going to like kind of pretend to be this child's father until I win, and then I'm uh, the next election, and then child's going back to orphanage. So he takes her on the campaign trail with him, and you know he doesn't treat her like, like dirt, but he doesn't treat her like great, but she sort of realizes that like life can be so much more. Does he let her sing? Yeah. Because the cam- at first he's not a big fan of it, but the cameras love it. So he's like, yeah, 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 sing, 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 sing. It's great, it's great. <laughs> Sing all the time. Sing, 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 sing. Sing and clean. And eventually he makes he's, her clean? <laughs> well, she is just predisposed to it because she's been doing her whole life. So she's like, yeah, I clean. That's funny. But eventually he starts noticing like, you know, um, <laughs> Mayor Force One is like super clean. and Mayor Force One. <laughs> Force One, yeah. What year is this, do you think? <laughs> well, um, uh, 
1952. Mm, okay. And he has a jet that he uses to campaign in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he flies, he skywrites. It's it's sort of his thing. But anyway, he's like, you know, he starts singing some of these songs that Annie's singing. He's like, God, she's, you know, she's great. And at the end of, like, the town loves her, mayor gets reelected. And he's also got, like, this fiancé that sucks, that doesn't want Annie. And oh, no. at some point, the fiancé is <laughs> all like, it's me or Annie. And he's like, you know what? I'm adopting Annie. And he adopts Annie and leaves the fiancé, and he's mayor for the rest of his life. And that's the story of Annie. And she gets adopted, and it's great. And they all sing at the end. I mean, some of what you've said is correct. Nice! Yes! <laughs> I knew there was like a like a politician of some sort. Yeah, he's not the mayor. He's not actually a politician. He's just like a very wealthy man that is, I think, looking. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think he's looking to improve his PR. Oh, so wow. They, he doesn't go to the orphanage, but he sends like his assistant to go find a child. And Annie is like being punished at the time. And she like sneaks out of a closet and is like, pick me, pick me. I'm the best one. And so she, they take Annie home. But it's only meant to be for, like, a brief amount of time just to, like, be like, look, this guy's letting an orphan stay at his fancy house. But he ends up, like, falling in love with her and actually Falling in her. love with her? No. <laughs> the As hell? a father. This is an old movie. <laughs> As a father. Oh, but okay, this okay. is also um, set in the Depression. Mm. Roosevelt is president, and they go visit him. In Mayor Force One? I actually think they take a little helicopter. Yeah. See? I knew it was by air. And I bet he named it the Mayor Force One. No, it was like some little fancy thing called like an autocopter. I don't know. I don't know if that was a real thing or if they just made up like a rich person toy for this movie. But you're right. They did take the air to get to the president. Well, well, I was 100% right about this movie. But the president is played by Richard Gilmore. Interesting. And um, there's some famous actors in this movie. We got Bernadette Peters. We got Tim Curry. We got... wow. Carol Burnett. And yeah, there's a lot more that goes down. I'll just, I'll read you the summary. Okay. Based on the hit Broadway musical, young orphan Annie has lived a hard knock life in an anything but happy orphanage run by the ruthless matriarch, Miss Agatha Hannigan. She quietly escapes her orphanage and sets out to find her parents, who she believes will claim her as their own, with a broken locket. Her path leads her to be placed in the care of an eccentric billionaire, Oliver Warbucks. After a few days, Warbucks realizes that Annie means more to him than life itself. Oh, wow. But Miss Hannigan, along with crooks Rooster and Lily, plot to do away with Annie and will stop at nothing to reclaim her. Yeah, she's got this locket. So first, Daddy Warbucks is going to, like, help her find her real parents. But the orphanage owner actually knows that they died in a fire at some point, so that they're dead. But her brother, Tim Curry, is going to, like, pretend to be her parents Mm. and like show up because daddy warbucks is like offering a huge reward for her parents so there's like a whole scheme where they're gonna like go get her get the money and then like drown her in the river oh shit yeah it's pretty dark yeah even for an orphanage movie which are never not dark there's like zero happy orphanage movies except for shazam (laughs) it's a lot like shazam do you know the song the big song it's a hard knock life oh that's good I wouldn't say that's the big one. I know that line. There's also one about tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. That's all I know. (laughs) You did pretty good, though. You're you're aware of this tale. Yes. I mean, I've I've seen the trailer. I I don't remember anything in the trailer other than there's like a rich guy. We'll watch it sometime. It's not a bad movie. I mean, I clearly knew what already happened, so. 
I'd be interested to watch it as an adult because I think there's a lot going on with politics that I probably thought was boring and went way over my head as a child. Yeah, uh, the politics of drowning children is like pretty interesting. <laughs> okay. This has been movies one, one of us has never, never seen. Then we watched Firefly. Stacy, can you give us a quick summary of Bushwhacked? This episode is about the Firefly coming across a ship of families that was, I guess, migrating to a new location to start a new life. But there doesn't seem to be anyone aboard the ship, and they're trying to figure out why. And there's some pretty dangerous implications for what could have happened to these people and what it might mean for the Firefly crew. It's a spooky one. Yeah, spooky. So it opens on the crew playing basketball. They're playing something. It's yeah, basketball-esque. It, it's, it's like basketball. They've basically got like a, not a tire, but some kind of like cement circle suspended from the ceiling that they're like throwing a ball through. But someone even comments like the rules don't really make sense. But a lot of the crew is playing. The only ones not playing are Simon and his sister and Inara. And Simon and Inara kind of talk about how River's doing. And he says she's doing better, but she still isn't like talking about her experience with this like school, quote unquote, that they sent her to where she was probably like tortured. Yeah. Mid-basketball sports game, there is an alert so the pilot, who I think his name is, they call him Wash, which I, I looked up his name, still don't know it, but they call him Wash, which is short for a longer last name that has Wash. I called it. him Walsh last time, my mistake. He goes to the cockpit and there's like a body that smacks against the windshield and they see- It's Thor. What? <laughs> he said it's Thor because that's what happens in Avengers. It's not Thor. There's a ship they can see and River is kind of like standing outside the cockpit while everyone sees this and she says- it's a ghost. So they learn a little bit more about this ship. They figure out that it's supposed to have like 14 families on it going to settle in a new location. But it doesn't really seem like anybody's aboard. And it definitely seems like at least one person is dead. So the captain and Zoe and maybe Jane, maybe not Jane. The captain and Zoe are suiting up to go over there. They're putting on their spacesuits. The doctor shows up to where they're getting dressed and he's like, I... I want to go because there's might be people over there that need medical attention. But like the idea of a spacesuit like freaks me out. It's just like a little bit of plastic and material that's keeping you from nothingness. To be fair, that is scary to me, too. Yeah. And th their spacesuits don't look like NASA grade. They're like, no, they do not. They look like they made them yesterday. We got we should talk about the outfits for this episode. We'll talk later. Yeah, their spacesuits definitely look like uh, we have some old jumpsuits. We'll throw a backpack on that and like a helmet. So Jane's like, don't worry about it. You don't need to go right now. And they kind of talk about like how, you know, the ship is like worthless. And J Jane is like very interested in going over there just to get like looted because there's going to be supplies and stuff over there that they can like make f money from. That's why they're going over there, probably partially to figure out what happened, but mostly to get the supplies. They talk about how like something floating in space from the ship is space trash. And then Jane says to the doctor, like, kind of like you and your sister, meaning yeah. like they were just these like random objects that they picked up. He doesn't like yeah, he clearly doesn't like them. I think Jane is pretty funny as a character. Yeah. I don't know that he doesn't like them personally, but it's more just like, you guys are going to cause problems for us at some point. Like, having you on board is like a liability. Yeah. There's not a lot of use that we've gotten from you. Although the doctor saved like a bunch of people. Yeah, you think it's like the doctor's like, I mean, you, you've you helped Jane already. I guess he drugged Jane. He did episode, drug him. So maybe he's still pissed about that. I feel like Jane is maybe a sociopath. 
if he's not a so, I don't think he's a psychopath, but he's definitely like, yeah, you either are helpful to me or I do not give a shit about you. Yeah. Like he respects the captain, but he's made it clear that like if there were a reason to kill the captain and it was like enough money, he'd probably do it. Yeah. So the captain and Zoe go over to the ship. There's no people. There's like food on the tables. There's a balloon floating, which is notable because you were like, why do they have guns? They can't shoot guns if there's no like air. Yeah, he's walking through this thing with a gun in his hand. And I was like, okay, well, there better be something flammable for you to shoot that gun. I guess having it out, if something's moving around, then there must be air. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense. Go ahead. But we eventually learned that they don't need the suits. There, so there, there is air here. More on that later. It's kind of a funny thing. So they now realize that these people are not here. They must have left in a hurry because there's still like you know food on the table. Meanwhile, River can't sleep. She wakes up. She says there's too much screaming. So she's having like some kind of connection to this ship of ghosts. Yeah. She's like feeling what they felt, I would say, is what I would guess was happening here. Mm. Jane comes back to Dr. Simon and he's like, hey, Zoe and the captain want you over there now. People need help. He's like, "Okay, I guess I'll suit up. So he goes over there in his suit. He's like very trepidatious and he shows up and like. No one's in a suit. Everyone else has gone over there, too. <laughs> They're all just, like, standing around. <laughs> and then Jane just starts laughing, because he knew he was afraid of the suit. <laughs> he made him put it on for no reason. Do they even go out into space to get between one or the other, though? Like, there's, no. there's an airlock or something. There's an airlock. I thought this was funny, but it also kind of doesn't make sense, because someone probably would have needed to help him put on the suit. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the captain and Zoe were getting help or like were helping each other. So if it's the first time he's putting it on, I don't know that he would be able to put it on by himself. So like at some point, someone would have stopped him and been like, you don't need this. They are hoping that the people got off on a lifeboat because I think it it looks like the lifeboat is missing, like the escape pod or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they point out that it would have been too small for how many people are missing from this ship. Yeah. They also realize that there's like a ton of supplies and it seems weird that they wouldn't have taken any of that with them. There's a ton of food and stuff. Kaylee says that there's nothing wrong with the ship. So like it's weird that they abandoned ship. Jane is just like furiously scavenging for supplies. And Nara is in charge of watching River back on the other ship. And she goes to her room when she's no longer there. And we see that River has also found her way over to this ship. And she looks up and we see a bunch of bodies that are sort of like mangled and dead. My question is, wouldn't they have smelled it? Like, did they yeah. need River to point out that there's a bunch of bodies hanging from the ceiling? Because yeah, later, later when they're taking them down, it seems like yeah. they smell bad. Mm-hmm. Definitely they should have smelled it. So it's a little weird. Malcolm, the captain, immediately is like, I know what did this. We got to go. Jane is still scavenging in the kitchen and a man attacks him. They must all overhear this. I think this must be like a commercial break. But later they are in the kitchen with Jane. He's like, yeah, he was huge. This guy just attacked. I didn't see him, but he was big. I shot him. <laughs> yeah. They open this like vent and this guy is hiding in there. And the doctor's like, oh, yeah, he's a real beast. Because we saw him. He did not seem like a very big dude. I mean, he's not right. like comically small, but he's much smaller than Jane. We didn't see him for very long, but Jane's a big boy. So. And this guy is like, they say malnourished. Like He's a skinny man. This scene is pretty funny. They follow the blood to this grate and they pull the grate off and Malcolm is like talking to the guy that's in there who's just muttering shit to himself like, no mercy, uh, no mercy. 
And Malcolm's like, oh, no, we got plenty of mercy. Just come out here. He says, we're not going to hurt you. Well, more than we already have because they've shot him. And then Malcolm just punches him in the head and knocks him out and drags him out of the van. I thought that was all very funny. Yeah. Because I find violence hilarious. (laughs) So they take him back to their ship. They all go back to the ship. He's in, like, the medical bay. He keeps saying no mercy. And Malcolm tells the doctor to dope him, to knock him out. He now reveals to his crew that he knows that the ship was hit by Reavers. Why do you think he wants to dope him? I think because he's, like, traumatized by Well, no, he-, he, he looks out at the crew who are, like, looking into the window, and he says, like, cattle for the slaughter. And once he says that, Malcolm's like, dope him. The show's made it very clear that Malcolm is a lot of things, but he's very protective of his crew. And so I think that line was like, no, you're not doing that here, motherfucker. Like, like, he's worried he'll get away from the medical bay and kill his crew. Yeah, which is what ends up happening later. Why would he want to kill them, though? Just because he's so messed up from seeing well, the Reaver attack? Yeah, I mean, that's Malcolm explains all that later. Yeah. That this dude, essentially, to deal with what he saw, is becoming a Reaver. Oh. Yeah, we still don't exactly know what Reavers are. I, I mean, I do, but I guess in the show, we don't. What was that cute little sound? Oh, apologies. I just got a message from someone about a board game I'm buying. Mmm. Didn't mean to interrupt the podcast. Sorry, everyone. So everyone's freaked out. They still want this loot, though. Jane doesn't want to go over there. I feel like the show has gone out of its way to tell us a couple things about Jane. One is that he's a big boy who likes to fight. But two, that he doesn't like Reavers. It's, he's afraid of Reavers. And I think that's really trying to show us, like, Reavers aren't jokes. <laughs> like, you, yeah. like if, if Jane's afraid of Reavers, then maybe people should be afraid of Reavers. The doctor's like, I don't mind going over there. I'm used to dealing with bodies. And Shepard wants to go because he wants to, like, take them down and properly not bury them, but, like, give them a human. Last rights kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's also, there was a funny line where, you know, Jane's talking about how he doesn't like this. He doesn't want to do it. And then Zoe's all like, careful, you'll scare the women. <laughs> He's being a, being a baby. Yeah. So the captain's like, well, you three can go over there. Jane, you're going anyway. I don't care what you say. He's like, what? So he's going to go quickly collect the loot while the doctor and Shepard take down and properly cover the bodies. We should mention that Malcolm didn't really want to do any of that. The preacher's like, you know, it's the right thing to do is to go over there and give them, you know, some respect for their death. And Malcolm's like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. But then seems to like change his mind. And he's like, you know what? All right. Yeah, you can go do the right thing. And then Anara goes over to Malcolm and is like, huh, like she's very surprised that he's doing this. She's like, every time I think I have you figured out, like you surprise me and then leaves. But then we find out that Malcolm is really not doing this out of some like good part of his heart. He's doing this because there's more to the story. He wants everyone distracted because now that he knows it's Reavers that did this, he also happens to know that Reavers tend to set up booby traps, which we saw earlier in the episode. There is, in fact, a booby trap attached to their ship now, and they can't just leave. Yeah, when they first, like, docked their ship to theirs, there's this weird, like, little tendril thing that sort of wraps around, and they definitely make a point of showing us that. I was like, what is that? And you said you didn't know. I don't think I did. I think you didn't remember. Yeah. But yeah. it was like, is this just like a part of their ship that we know about? But it definitely seemed like something they were trying to show us. So they like go back and watch this on the camera. And while they're like making a plan for how to deal with the Reaver situation, the Alliance has detected them. They're like, rawr, rawr, prepare to be boarded. I don't know if any of that actually happened, but they make it clear that they are going to be coming aboard the ship. But we see aboard the Alliance ship, they see that this Firefly which is a type of ship, I guess. 
It's yeah. named the Serenity. Firefly is the type of ship. This Firefly is, you know, scavenging this alliance ship that was taking these families. So they know they're probably trying to steal alliance goods. And they also can tell on their sensors that there's two fugitives on board the ship, an adult brother and sister, though they don't know anything more about them. So the captain calls everyone to like the cargo bay because he knows they're going to be boarded by these alliance people. So they're like, let's just put the cargo that they know we took in plain sight. And he calls Simon down there. He's like, bring your sister. And he's like, what? You're going to freaking turn me in? I, I knew this would happen. But that's not what happens. They put them in spacesuits and they send them out onto the outside of the ship to hang out. Well, not to hang out. <laughs> They're not like having a good time, but they, they have them like cling to the hull while the Alliance members board the ship and search it, which I kind of called. Right. There's a lot of misdirect. Yeah. Because they're, like, looking around for a while, and they don't find them. And he, like, set up that he was scared to be in space. They're determined they're going to find them. At some point, River and Simon go back in. I guess maybe just because you can't stay in space forever. Right. But they, they think they're safe. They think they're in a place that was already checked, and they're not going to find them. The Alliance, by the way, when they show up, immediately they're, like, like you said, that they think they're stealing stuff. And, like, maybe they killed these people on the ship. But they're also, there's an APB out for a Firefly harboring two like criminals that the Alliance wants really badly. Right. So they're like, might as well check this. And then it's also the, the Firefly is like missing some like license plate essentially that it needs. And also they know that Fireflies are often used by smugglers because they've got like little crevices to hide stuff in. But the Alliance just shows up and Mal's like, we're going to put all our stuff here so they can see it. And we're going to make it look like, you know, like we have nothing to hide. But I want to say that we talked about the spacesuits looking kind of not great. But the Alliance shows up, and they're just clearly like, hey, we bought some, like, refurbished Starship Trooper uniforms from that movie. <laughs> it's, like, beyond a doubt that's what this is. <laughs> like, they've got the same helmet, like, the same kind of, like, cheap little padded vest. I was like, oh, okay, you got these on discount. Got it. We should also say, I think this might happen before the Alliance shows up. Kaylee confidently is like, yeah, I can remove the booby trap. And she does. She just, like, goes down there and kind of unplugs something, and it unwinds itself. That might be actually what alerts the Alliance. I can't remember. I think the Alliance might just be like going through space and finds them. I don't know. Because the idea is that like if they were to have disengaged from the ship with that booby trap still attached, it would have like blown them up. Yeah. So they avoid that. While they're searching the ship for the stowaways, they interview the crew of the Serenity one at a time. Is it Zoe where they're like, they say something about the Serenity? And she's like, it's just Serenity. <laughs> it might be Anara. It's one of the I women. think it's Anara. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny and a connection very gilmore girls the marriage of zoe and the pilot is like a weird subject like they keep trying to ask about their love story and she's just like well i needed a husband i mean she's kind of being sassy like not really wanting to answer their questions but then like well she his... says we're very private people and then it goes to him and he's like have you seen her legs that's why i'm with her and her butt and the rest of her body yeah so i'm like what is going on here? Like, is this a sham marriage? You know, like when you uh -huh. interview someone who's like trying to get like a green card marriage and like they don't know that their wife has tattoos or whatever. <laughs> Just it felt like <laughs> their stories weren't quite aligning. So I'm interested to see what's going on there or if it was just meant to be a joke. It's meant to be a joke. I mean, I think one thing to make clear is that Malcolm and Zoe are very anti-alliance. They fought against the alliance. Yes. Which... So I think she's sort of being like, fuck you. I don't have to tell you anything. And I'm not gonna because I don't respect you guys. Yeah. And I don't have to. Whereas Wa Wash Wash doesn't feel that way. 
Yeah. And also they're different characters. You know, I think he's clearly more of the Xander of the show. He's sort of, a, you know, he's a jokester. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like it was just to be a joke. It didn't, I don't think it was really being a sham. Okay. And I have to say, I really liked all of these scenes. I feel like this episode is very well done. It's well paced. It's creepy up top. And then this scene just tells us so much more about these characters and the universe. Yeah, yeah. They dive a little bit into Malcolm's backstory, especially. I mean, we, we kind of knew some of this because we saw it, but like, you know, they talk about how he was a sergeant on the planet he was fighting in that we saw in the first episode. And he's like, no, I'm not a sergeant anymore. I'm a captain. The Alliance guy just like keeps calling him sergeant, though. But there's clearly some tension between him and the Alliance because he yeah. he knows that the captain still feels like he's not part of the Alliance. And like, even mm-hmm. though they lost the war, he doesn't like respect this new government. Yeah, there's great dialogue here where he's like, it's weird to name your ship after this after you were on the wrong side of the war. And Malcolm's like, well, I was on the losing side. I don't know that I was on the wrong side. I like that yeah. line. I yeah. like that line a lot. The Alliance dude kind of accuses him of killing the families to get their loot. He's like, no, it was Reavers. But he like doesn't believe him? Does he think Reavers aren't real? Or I don't well, know. Well, he, he says he hears that excuse a lot. And I mean, that makes sense, right? There's sort of like a boogeyman that you can blame for anything. Sure. I think there's a lot of mythology around the Reavers because they exist, but like not everyone really knows what's going on with them. So like, yeah. But they end up putting Malcolm in handcuffs. I can't remember why. They arrest him because, you know, Malcolm is saying, hey, we saved this dude. Yeah, we took some stuff, but like we were saving this guy because of the Reavers. And they're like, oh, you were saving that guy because he looks like he's tortured. Some point during this, that guy that they saved and drugged, like, wakes up from his drugness and, like, yes. cuts his, starts cutting his face up. That's why they arrest Malcolm in the first place, why they even take them off the ship, because they're like, you were torturing this dude, probably because you're anti-Alliance, and he's with the Alliance. Yeah. And you're, like, taking it out on him. You're doing this because you're so anti-Alliance. And Malcolm, it's a little frustrating. Malcolm has some experience with Reavers. I don't remember what it is, but he seems to know a lot about them. And he's all like, no, this dude did this to himself because he, the Reavers made him watch all this stuff. And the only way you can like possibly deal with that kind of trauma is to sort of become this thing that was so frightening. So he's probably going to cut up his face. It's, it's definitely one of those Buffy moments where they just jump to conclusions that happen to be a thousand percent accurate. Right, he's right. Like, he's going to start cutting up his face. Then he's going to get free and start killing your crew. Which just happens immediately, which I also don't buy. I like this show, but this part makes no fucking sense. The size of their spaceship is incredible. It's enormous. They've got dudes walking around with, like, military machine guns. And, like, a spaceship is a pretty locked down thing. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just casually open doors in something that if you open the wrong door, like, you're going to get sucked out. Pushed right. out, by the way. Not sucked out. Just so everyone know, I get it. You get pushed, not sucked. <laughs> I just the idea that this guy just like gets free and starts killing people and getting out. I'm like, oh, someone would be able to stop him. Like, you can't just walk around this lockdown facility. But the dude gets out, kills some people and then like gets back on the serenity somehow. Apparently, there's no security that could stop him. And so yeah. they take Mal- they they hear this is happening. Like, all right, Malcolm, let's go back to your ship because Malcolm's all like, hey, I'll show you around the ship. I know my ship. There's a lot of places to hide. Like you said, I can help you catch this guy. So they take Malcolm with him to Serenity, which a little bit I'm like, would you though? I don't know, but they do. Well, they make him go first as like a human shield, essentially. And he's handcuffed. Connection. Connection. He is arrested and handcuffed just like Michelle. So, you know, they make him go in the front. The prisoner's on the loose. Simon and his sister are also on the loose. They're hiding. There's kind of a cool moment where like the captain goes around a corner and just like comes face to face with Simon and then like, you know, obviously pretends for the alliance that he did not see them but eventually the main alliance dude is attacked by the rogue man from the other ship 
Malcolm kills him, saving the Alliance dude's life. And then the show actually kind of abruptly ends with them watching the Alliance like go away with their cargo and like blowing up this abandoned ship. Yeah. Well, yeah, he he saves them. It, there's a lot of tension here that I like, though, because the doctor and his sister are like back in serenity because, like you said, they can't be outside forever. And they're just walking around the ship in like clunky spacesuits that they can't maneuver in super well. And they try to hide, and Malcolm actually sees them, and is sort of like, oh, what are we going to do? But then, luckily, Scarface attacks. That's what I'm calling him out. And, yeah, after Malcolm saves them, it's clear everything Malcolm said was true, so they let them go, but take their bounty away. And they blow up the ship like Malcolm suggested they do. And that's just, like, the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, oh, okay. We're not going to have, like, a fun little, what are we going to do next week, guys? You know, just sort of as, like, and all wrapped up. Bye-bye. Yeah. So, did you like this episode? Yeah, I thought it was good. I maybe even liked it more than last week's. Yeah. Like, the, the reveal that this, like, whole crew of people was, like, murdered was, like, oh, the show can be kind of dark. I mean, I guess, like, a town dying because of, like, a mining plague is dark as well. But I don't know. I'm, like, interested to meet these Reavers. That They're, like, the Borg, you know? There's just, like, this ominous, overpowering threat that, like, yeah. no one can beat that we haven't met yet that I'm interested in seeing. So, yeah, I liked, like, how spooky it was. We got a little bit more backstory on some of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was fun. Did you like it? Yeah, I think this is a great episode. Other than the, the things I complained about, which I think are totally valid, things to make fun of or say don't make sense, I think it started great. I already sort of said this with, like, creepy, like, ghost ship that they find. All of that was scary. Or, like, you know, atmospherically was creepy. And then, like, we had the great moments, like you said, with the interviews where we got to know more about the characters. And also we had a cool moment, we didn't mention this, where the doctor and his sister are outside the ship. And she looks over and just, like, kind of is actually having a good time while he's terrified because she's looking at the stars. I thought that was kind of cute. I am anxious to get more about her deal. We forgot to mention, she comes over to the ship. She just walks over there, says she's following the voices, which is all terrifying. Yeah, I think I mentioned that she's the one that finds the bodies. But yeah, she she is like drawn to the ship because she can hear their voices. So yeah. I'm definitely interested to hear more about like what her, her deal is. I'm wondering like how long they'll draw that out. Since we know the show gets canceled, I'm assuming that they sort of wrap it all up since they did a movie. But like there's a lot of big things that we still need to learn more about, like. We need yeah. an encounter with the Reavers, and we got to figure out what this girl's deal is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see the Reavers at some point, obviously. And I feel like the show's done a great job of, like, setting them up as a pretty terrifying thing. Mm-hmm. I think this is a solid show. Like, I do think it shouldn't have got canceled. I think it's a good show. I can see why it's, like, not quite as accessible. Yeah. Like, Buffy, I mean, it's a different audience, though. This was probably directed yes. more for adults, yes. where Buffy was directed for, like, teens. Mm-hmm. Even though the first season of Buffy, I think, is like a weaker show than this, it probably was like a little more digestible off the bat. Mm -hmm. I mean, Buffy, definitely some of the monsters looked pretty cheesy, uh, without a doubt. But in this show, they're they're going for so much more has to be like covered with special effects or costumes or like scenery stuff that they they can't just use any old house, you know. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're seeing some of it looks chintzy and you're like, okay, that looks real fake or that doesn't look like the from the future but if you set that aside plot wise pacing wise character wise i'm into the show yeah did these episodes have any similarities other than the getting arrested connection um questionable food there was the food they were stealing Mm Hmm. and 
wondering why the food was left. The gross food that Boo's mom was making. <laughs> the smell. <laughs> yeah, there was. Maybe a bad smell. People wearing outfits that look silly. Grant's pants. Okay, that was, you thought Grant's they pants. were silly. They are. They, uh, with Brian, they look silly. They're not good. Uh, yeah, not so many. Not so many. But the main characters were handcuffed. It's huge. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's really some big connections. We're on to you, Amy. <laughs> All right, so which episode do you think was better? I mean, it's Firefly. Yeah. We had people, you said this already, but we've had people worried that we're always going to pick Firefly. I am ready to pick Bunheads if I think it's better. So far, though, it's Firefly for me. Yeah, I, this was a weaker Bunheads and a pretty strong Firefly. So I'm confident that Bunheads could have like a killer week on a week that Firefly is not as good. But it is a little unfair, I think, just because yeah. of the, the scope of Firefly. Mm -hmm. But I'm rooting for you, Bunheads. Yeah, me too. It's just You're that good. both shows are funny, and Gilmore Girls was so funny. So was Buffy. I would say Gilmore Girls maybe had to edge out on Buffy with jokes. Like, it would have a lot of really good jokes per episode, where yeah. I'm not seeing as many good jokes in Bunheads. Bunheads also has the constant, like, everything's bad. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm trying to understand what's happening in my life right now, whereas yeah. Gilmore Girls didn't have that every episode. I think we're like one or two episodes away from Bunhead's like settling into what it is as a yeah. show and not like canceled dealing with <laughs> the <laughs> the death of Hubble. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. that we're going to like sit in that for the mm -hmm. entirety of this season. Of right. Television. Exactly. We just need her to start teaching the kids and then like the show will start. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's going to be some storylines with like the girls in this audition that they're working on and stuff like that. And totally. Kind of a focus shift, but I we have to like spend some time getting her established in this new town, mm -hmm. and that's not always interesting. Yeah, where Firefly to be fair, there's been more Firefly because there was a longer episode that set up a lot, so they kind of like established everything, and now we're doing like Monster of the Week essentially, mm -hmm. where Bunheads is still figuring out everyone's deal. Mm -hmm. If you guys want to watch along next time, we'll be discussing Firefly Episode 4, Shindig. As well as Bunhead's Episode 4, Better Luck Next Year. Also, before you tune out, if you're into Veronica Mars, check out our Patreon. We are now watching Veronica Mars. We mentioned this earlier. We're into the show. We have a lot to say about it, and we want to hear your opinions on it, too. It's not Buffy, but it's it's interesting. It's it's noir, but in a high school. You hit in high school. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What did you think of Grant's pants? <laughs> How much would you pay for some of Michelle's water? If you don't already know what a reaver is, what do you think they look like? We could do like a coloring contest. People could draw. <laughs> you could doodle one. That is it. Let's invite we'll some children. On our... Have they described them at all? I don't think so. I'd love to see your reaver drawings. Is only feet a thing? Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to Google it. 100% it is. What do you think of Fanny's cat pillow? <laughs> yeah. Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches, and more. Or you can email us at Brian and Stacy Reviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an AY. 
For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Brian and Stacy, where you can watch our video recaps of Angel and Veronica Mars. We also post monthly podcast outtakes, share early extended episode previews, and host monthly live stream watch parties where you can chat with us live. And we again have some new Patreon subscribers, Brian. Everyone Ooh. is excited to see what we have to say about Veronica. Thank you so much to Emily Shoup, Caitlin, Courtney, Phoebe Fisher, Amanda, Sarah T., Brittany Lane, Emma, Adina J, Nin Nin, Andy Smith, Emma, and NYC Dawn. Thank you guys so much. We're in NYC Dawn. Wait, you think this is like Dawn Dawn? Maybe. It's the NYC version of Dawn. She just randomly showed up one day as a Patreon like she's been there all along. <laughs> For more of our content, please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support our content, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming podcast. Ooh, the sun will come out tomorrow. But the Reavers will be there also. Mm. Oh, you're doing uh, Annie? I was just seeing if you would know the rest. I did. The Reavers will come out also. Yeah. It's true. The sun and the Reavers <laughs> will come out tomorrow. <laughs>